All right. If you're new or visiting, we're doing the Psalms. We're going through all 150 of them. We're winding it down. And then we're going to go into the book of Acts, verse by verse. I'm really excited about that as well. So, Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for all that you allow us to do. We are so blessed. We're spoiled, really. We are spoiled. And, Father, we thank you for blessing us with so much. And, Lord, we don't want to sit on it. We don't want to hide it. We want to share it. We want to be involved with our neighbors, our coworkers. We want them to come to heaven with us. So, Father, as we sit here, we don't need another Bible study. We need our hearts continually transformed, to be softened, to be aware of what's going on around us, to be alert, to be awake for those things that you, in your word, you said you've ordained You've ordained situations for us to walk in them. And it's not just situations that do a good work. It's to plant, to water, to to fertilize. And if it's your will, Lord, this week, that we might pray with someone to receive Jesus as your Savior. We know you could do that. So help us be alert this week in a store. Why not pray with somebody to receive Jesus on aisle four? Why not? You could do that. So, Lord, just make us aware to be available. That's all you need, people that are available, saints that are available for the work of the ministry. And, Lord, I pray for the gift of teaching as we go over your word, this love letter. Lord, I pray that that you would change anything that needs to be changed for maybe that one person in our midst this morning, the one saint or the one ain't, whatever the case may be, that we'd understand you better, how much you love us and how much you care for us. You are so concerned about our lives. That in and of itself is just amazing. So, Father, bless this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, the next three psalms are songs. If you're new or visiting, the psalms are actually songs in which David expresses his sorrow over his situation. You see, David most likely wrote these songs during his wandering years while being chased by King Saul. And you want to remember, David was the king's son-in-law. He was a king's son-in-law. And he had the best that Israel had to offer at that time. He was praised by the nation as a war hero, even more than King Saul. And this is what caused David's problems. You see, King Saul was a very jealous man. And he didn't like the fact that the people were singing songs about David instead of him. And so after two situations where Saul almost killed David, David fled from his comfortable surroundings and had to live the next 10 years in isolation as well as a wanted criminal, a wanted criminal who committed no crime. So as we read the Psalms, we want to remember this. David had committed no crime. Matter of fact, he's the only man in all of the Bible that says he was a man after God's own heart. Now we know there were men and women who were seeking after God's heart. We know that, but that title was specifically attached to David. And we also know that he made some very, very poor choices. We also want to remember that these songs were compiled after the exile years, roughly 500 B.C. Just keep that in your mind, roughly 500 B.C. 
That's 500 years after David lived. For you younger people who are hearing that, you know, how can we trust the word? It's been changed. It's been mistranslated. Blah, 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 blah. No, 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 no. The Jews were meticulous as scribes in making sure that each letter, each word, each paragraph, each book was perfect. Matter of fact, if you had the book of Isaiah and you were writing the book of Isaiah, when in Israel you went to the see the shrine of the book where the Dead Sea Scrolls, a copy of the Dead Sea Scrolls were found, the book of Isaiah, 66 chapters, identical to our Isaiah today, 2,200 years old roughly. If you were a scribe and you were writing the book of Isaiah and you were in chapter 66 and you made a mistake, you didn't ask for the whiteout. There was no whiteout. You literally tore the scroll up and burned it. It could have possibly been two years in the making. You tore it up and you burned it. No mistranslations. So 500 years after David wrote these songs, they were then brought into book five of the Psalms. 500 years. 500 years before Christ. 2,500 years for us. They're still perfect and we can learn from them. You see, God's word is accurate, detailed, factual, historical, and true to the characters referenced therein. What a blessing for you and I today. Now, from reading David's various songs, we can tell that he dealt with depression. So if you're here this morning and you're dealing with depression, you're not alone. Anxiety, fear, yet he would take those emotions to the throne of God, as we're even going to see this morning, and he would allow God to comfort and relieve him of those emotions. You see, through David's submissive attitude, and this is for you and I this morning, if you're not hearing from God, I can tell you why you're not hearing from God. Most likely, why you're not hearing from God. Most likely, you're not reading your Bible every single day with an open heart, with a soft heart. You come to the word of God and you have your preconceived ideas or notions or God doesn't hear me, God doesn't love me, blah, blah, blah. No, no, God loves you, God cares for you. You have to approach the word of God with a a heart of submission. God, I want to hear from you. I'm willing to hear from you. I don't know it all. You do. Help me. You see, God replaced those negative emotions with heavenly peace. Maybe you don't have peace right now. You can have it. Contentment. Maybe you're struggling with contentment this morning. Maybe even in your marriage. Just remember, if you leave your marriage, you're taking yourself with you. You're part of the problem. Don't think you're getting away from the problem because you're taking yourself with you. Fix the problem. Fix the problem and stay married. Faith and trust in the living God. You see, God, again, will do the same for us today if we submit our lives to him and seek after his ways instead of ours. It's really that simple. So let's learn a few things from David this morning in verses 1 and 2 of Psalm 141. Lord, I cry out to you. Make haste to me. Give ear to my voice when I cry out to you. Let my prayer be set before you as incense. The lifting up of my hands 
as the evening sacrifice. Notice that, men, especially you men. Because even in the New Testament, Paul says, men lifting up holy hands. And I know we have a hard time with that as men. And I encourage you to break through that barrier. That's just the enemy. Fear neutralizes faith. And I encourage you to lift up your hands. What are you doing? What are you saying? And, and this goes for you women as well, but especially men. We have a harder time. Say, I, I surrender. I sur- it's a universal sign. I surrender. You go in any country, you raise your hand. If it's a decent country, they're going to know, okay, he doesn't got a weapon. Okay, he's surrendering. I'm a policeman. He's surrendering to my authority. That's what we're saying when we do that. We're also saying, God, I praise you. I praise you for what you've done for me. I praise you for what I have. You are so worthy of my praise. You see, at the sanctuary that was erected in Shiloh, and we actually went to that this time on the tour, and we're going to do it again next time because it was just unbelievable. The, the tabernacle actually dwelt in Shiloh for 369 years. It's the second longest place that the, the Ark of the Covenant dwelt, the second longest place. And you go there, and it's in a valley, and it's surrounded by mountains, and the mountains have cut terraces on them. So you could tell where the people would have come and set up their tents. And they would have brought their families. And when you look down, there's pottery. And, and I went, the last time I went was 93. And, and there was hardly anybody around. And so we just picked up pottery and, and it was no big deal. And this time when we went, 26 years later, I, I saw some pottery. I go, hey, there's some pottery. Pick it up. And so they're picking it up. And then we get to where uh, we now have a guide from their area. And he goes, and oh, by the way, if you see any pottery, don't pick it up. Everybody's just kind of like, Ugh. <laughs> we didn't know any, I didn't know. Cause they're sifting it and they're finding writing on the pottery that dates back 3,400 years. Well, why would there be pottery there? Well, when people brought their sacrifices in pottery because it was an earthen vessel and once you offered a sacrifice to God, that vessel became holy. So you just couldn't take it home, throw it in the tent, drive a couple hundred miles on your camel or donkey or by foot and Chuck it on the kitchen table and say, okay, let's have a drink here, everybody. That's holy. So those vessels had to be broken on that spot. And so as we were leaving, I I then talked to the guy and I said, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know we couldn't do that. He goes, oh, you're fine. You're fine. I go, but do you have something that we could have? He goes, oh, let me show you. And he took me to this huge pile, thousands of pieces of pottery. He goes, take as much as you want. We sifted through all of that. So I just took my hat off and filled my hat up and went back to the bus and everybody got a piece of pottery. But guys, that pottery is, is not just a, you know, a piece of pottery. That was someone whose heart was bringing a sacrifice to God. God, I believe you. I love you. Here's my sacrifice. And by the way, I can't take this because you have made this holy. I didn't make it holy. It's just a clay pot. Get the symbolism here, guys. It's just a clay pot. You made it holy. So this is where it stays, at your temple. Isn't that amazing? Do you make yourself holy or does God make you holy? God makes you holy. And you are a vessel worthy of honor. That's amazing in and of itself, guys. And so David here is lifting up his hands as it would be the, as he talks about the evening sacrifice. You see, there was a morning sacrifice, an animal sacrifice, Every morning and every evening, there was also the altar of incense, a table which held hot coals in the holy place. And again, every morning as well as evening, the priest, and only a priest, 
would offer incense upon that altar. And we learn from the book of Revelation that the incense was symbolic of the prayers of the saints. And now remember, David is fleeing from King Saul, so he can't go to the tabernacle. And as a priest, not a priest, he couldn't go in anyways, but he knew what was taking place in the holy place. And so he lifts up his hands to God and offering a sacrifice of praise, even though he can't go to the tabernacle. So again, throughout the week, when somebody cuts you off and you lift up your hand, don't lift it up in the wrong way, but lift up, thank you, God, that I just didn't get hurt. Thank you for keeping me safe. And bless that idiot, please. Help him learn how to drive. Bless him, bless him. You'll, you'll feel a lot better for doing it. See, David was willing to pray through his situations from the palace, having everything, to the desert. Imagine going from L.A. 50 years ago to Phoenix. <laughs> I guess you could go maybe 70 years ago. I knew, when I worked at Motorola, I knew guys that didn't have air conditioning. When they lived here, they, they slept on wet sheets. And they hung sheets in the windows to try to cool down themselves at night. That's just reality. I said I would have went somewhere else, but they stayed here. Verses 3 and 4. So applicable for us this morning. Especially if you are a... Um, what do you call it? A social media person. <laughs> Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. So you might want to... You can put the word fingers there as well. Because uh, now we like to text versus talk, which drives me crazy. Set a guard, over, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the doors, door of my lips. Do not incline my heart to any evil thing. You see, Saul is chasing David. Saul wants to kill David. He tried twice in the palace. And so in, instead of Daving, David following after Saul's example, he prays to God as a young man, guys, as a young man. He's not a teenager. He's most likely in his 30s right now. So as a young man, he's praying to God. I don't want to be like him. I don't want to be you. If he's the king, and he, not if he's the king, he's the king. You made him king. So he's anointed, and I'm not going to kill him, but I certainly don't want to be like him as well. And that, I think that's a good prayer. To practice wicked works which met with men who work iniquity, and do not let me eat of their delicacies. You see, he was willing to surrender his mouth to the Lord. And when we get in trouble, or if we think there may be trouble coming, we can find ourselves overflowing with words. Or we can find ourselves thinking about how to re have revenge on someone. You see, it's amazing. It's just amazing how fast our flesh reverts back to evil thoughts or practices. You think you have it all together, and then somebody does something, and a thought crosses your mind. It might not come out your lips. But what did Jesus say? If you have hatred in your heart towards your brother, you've already committed murder. Sure, you didn't kill him, but you killed him in your mind. See, it's all about the heart. Jesus wasn't, he wasn't so concerned about the law, he was concerned about the heart. And if our heart's in the right place, we're not worried about the law. I don't submit to the law, I submit to Jesus. But I have to continually do that. You see, David prays that the Father will not only protect him physically, but protect him from accusing others. You see, sometimes silence, I encourage you this in this area, especially marital couples. Sometimes silence 
is the best weapon. Not continual silence. Don't take that to the extreme. We need to resolve our disagreements. But it's hard to argue with somebody that's not arguing. It's hard to have a tug of war when you just keep letting the rope go. Just keep letting the rope go. Sooner or later, they'll hang themselves. Just let the rope go. It's that simple. Proverbs 10.19 says, In the multitude of words, sin is not lacking. In the multitude of words, sin is not lacking. Um, I don't say a whole lot. People often wonder, man, you don't say a whole lot. I don't have a whole lot to say. Personally, I'm just not. I like listening. I I like listening to people. You can learn a lot. But he who restrains his lips is wise. So I encourage you, even with social media, even though we're learning about lips this morning, apply this to your fingers. Proverbs 29.20. Do you see a man hasty in his words? Do you see a woman hasty in her words? There's more hope for a fool than for them. I know Pastor Chuck, and it didn't come from him. Other people have said I don't know where it came from, but um, I didn't write it down. There's that phrase... Um, it's better to let others think you're a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. <laughs> James 3.5 says, See how great a forest a little fire kindles? And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. <laughs> the tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body. And sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire by hell. Thanks, James, for the encouragement. Really appreciate that. He's just speaking the truth via the Holy Spirit. And we can all take counsel from that. Guard the tongue. Verse 5. Let the righteous strike me. It shall be a kindness. And let him rebuke me. It shall be an excellent oil. Let my head not refuse it. For still my prayer is against the deeds of the wicked. You see, David asked for counsel from the righteous. And you know it's way better. It's way better to have someone come alongside of you that loves you enough to tell you the truth. And it may hurt. It may hurt you momentarily. And Claudia and I, we go out on date nights and... And we ask each other on a regular basis, is there anything I'm doing that I shouldn't do? Is there anything that I could do for you? You know, we fellowship, not just talk about the kids and sports and weather and finances. You want to go out on a date and you want to ask each other. You single people that are maybe thinking about getting married, you want to ask a lot of questions of your future mate. A lot of questions. A lot of spiritual questions. They'll eliminate a lot of problems. A lot of spiritual questions right out of the gate. You see, Proverbs 27, 6 says this, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. For those of you who are married, your mate it should not be your enemy. And we allow the enemy of our souls to get that into our heads. Been there, done that. First two years of, my mar- of our marriage, my wife was my enemy. And I was hers. It was disaster. We almost got divorced on our second anniversary. We weren't applying biblical principles. Thank God the Lord sent a couple people over to, and we got counsel. And, he, and the Holy Spirit turned it around. But the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 7. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 7. I'm going to turn the air down a little bit. I'm not going to ask if anybody's hot or cold. That never goes over well. 
So I just do it. You can whine under your breath. It'll slowly filter out to you. Now as we get warmer, remember this side is the cool side. So if you want to be on the cooler side of the sanctuary, we always keep this side two degrees cooler than this side because this is the north. North is that way, so this is cooler in the summer. You hot people, you can stay on this side over here. If you're having hot flashes, sit in the middle and you should be okay. Second Corinthians 7, 8. For even if I made you sorry with my letter, Paul writing to the church at Corinth, to the believers, I do not regret it. Notice, even though I made you sorry with my letter, Paul rebuked them for what they were doing. I don't regret it, though I did regret it. I, I, I felt bad I had to do it, but I had to do it. For I perceive that the same epistle made you sorry, though only for a while. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner. Not sorry that I got caught. Oh, my hand was in the cookie jar. I'm sorry. I'll try better next time when you're not around. That's when I'll eat them. No, 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 no. That you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow. Notice here. Not just sorry I got caught. But godly sorrow produces repentance leading salvation. Not to be regretted. But the sorrow of the world produces death. Sorry I got caught. I'll do my jail time. You know how many repeat offenders there are? Unfortunately, the, the, the statistics are astounding. Were you truly sorrow? Now, now many guys and gals receive Jesus as their Savior in prison. Praise God. And they come out and they repent. And they have repented. They show fruit of repentance. But a very high percentage do not show fruit of repentance. And they do the same thing and they end up going back in. For observe this very thing that you sorrowed in a godly manner. Notice here. What diligence it produced in you. What clearing of yourselves. Now I'm just giving you some practical insight here. Because I counsel people, disciple, because I'm not a counselor, but I disciple people. And, and things happen, that's life, and people will come in and they'll I'm sorry I did it, I'm sorry I did it. And you know, a month later well, they'll come in and they'll say, you know, I said I was sorry and she won't forgive or he won't forgive. And I just got to slap him upside the head and say, what are you thinking? That's a human heart. That's a human heart. How much have you shown that you're sorry? Well, I should have to prove myself to anybody. You're a knucklehead. You do. You do have to prove yourself. Because you wounded a heart. Grow up. Mature. And I take them to these scriptures. Not that they're better than you. But are you willing to really, and not grovel, I'm not insinuating that at all, but have you really, truly shown fruit of repentance? Or did you just say once, oh, I'm sorry. Now get over it. That's very immature. Very immature. It's not easy to get over some things. So notice what the scriptures say. What diligence it produced in you. What clearing of yourselves. What indignation. What fear. What vehement desire. What zeal. What vindication. In other words, they proved that they were truly sorry. They didn't just say it. They had actions behind it. And a lot, do you hear that list? A lot of actions. Not just, I'm sorry, let's move on now. A lot of actions. They had fruit 
of repentance. They had fruit of repentance because Paul goes on to say, in all things you proved yourselves to be clear in this matter. Notice that. In all things you proved yourselves clear. We've repented. We're not going to do that again. We're sorry. And here's the fruit of my repentance. That's true repentance. And that is true godly sorrow. Back in Psalm 141, verses 6 and 7. Their judges are overthrown by the sides of the cliff, and they hear my words, for they are sweet. Our bones are scattered at the mouth of the grave, as when one plows and breaks up the earth. You see, David has been referred to as the sweet psalmist. His words spoke tremendously about God's goodness, God's faithfulness, God's love. And those who were judging him knew how David felt about God. But their desire was more for the injustice of the king. Now, if you're not reading your Bible, you have no idea what I'm saying. So read from Genesis to Revelation. And as you read the whole Bible, you're going to get to know what I'm talking about here. Saul and his men, at one point, 3,000 mighty warriors hunted down David to kill him. Saul had 3,000 men convinced that David was trying to overthrow the kingdom. They They had more of a desire for the injustice of the king than for the justice of God. And guys, that's for you and me as well. It appears even as we read these verses that some of the people that David had joined, or that joined David, were dying during this time of wandering. And and there's no doubt they were. It was definitely a tough time for all those involved with David as they forsook everything to live in the desert with him. Verses 8 through 10. But my eyes are upon you, O God the Lord. And you'll see this in the Psalms. David would have been a manic depressant. They probably would have had him locked up today. He had great highs. He had tremendous lows. But he always came back to the middle. He always came back to the middle. He just expressed himself. He let it out, which most of us have a hard time doing. He didn't accuse God. He would just say what was on his heart. And then he'd come back to the fact, you're God. I'm not. You've got a plan. I'm going to follow you. Good example for all of us. In you, I take refuge. Do not leave my soul destitute. Keep me from the snares they have laid for me and from the traps of the workers of iniquity. Let the wicked fall in their own nets while I escape safely. You see, David walked by faith and not by sight. He knew that God would take care of him. Do you know that? Do you really, really, really know that? But he expresses once again a biblical truth. That God will catch the wicked in their own snares. And I have seen this in my own life. I've seen this when I was at Motorola. I have seen this in the ministry. God will take care of you. Be quiet. Serve him. Put your head down. I'm just a dumb donkey. I put my head down and I keep on moving. I just keep on moving. I just keep on moving. Say what you want. I'm just going to keep on moving. That's fine. I'm just going to keep on moving. 
That's what you want to do. Just keep on moving in the Lord. Forget what people have to say, good, bad, or indifferent, because it doesn't matter anyways. It's what does God say? It's what does God say? You see, David had to run from King Saul, and he had on several occasions seen the hand of God deliver him. Twice in those ten years, David literally, literally could have killed King Saul. He was that close. He was right beside him. He could have took a sword, boom, done. I'm done with this desert. But he said, no. God, he's your anointed. You have a plan. I am not going to do what others are telling me to do. Kill him. No, no, no. God, you have a plan. You see, David walked away from the trap that was laid for him, and this drove King Saul absolutely crazy. Because God's guiding hand was upon David and King Saul knew it. Psalm 142, a contemplation of David, a prayer when he was in the cave. Now this psalm is very specific in that the title tells us the exact location for its writing. It's in 1 Samuel 22.1. It says, David therefore departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. So we know this is very, very, this is at the very beginning of, of his uh, fleeing. David was warned by his close friend Jonathan, the son of King Saul and the heir apparent to the throne, that the king was seeking to kill David. So he had to flee the kingdom for his life. He had to leave the comfort of the kingdom to roam amongst the hills, the trees, and the animals of Israel. David had to learn how to rest in what the Lord had told him about the kingdom. It would only be a matter of time. But did David know it was going to be 10 years? No. He just had to take one day at a time, one day at a time. And what are you going through? What distress are you going through? Do you know when it's going to end? You have no idea. So you take today and you live for today and you praise God today. And when tomorrow shows up, you do the same thing and the same thing and the same thing. Don't get caught up in the the whining that the enemy wants you to do. Get up in the proclaim, get caught up in the proclaiming of God's goodness. God, I don't know why you're allowing this to happen. I don't like it. I don't appreciate it. But God, I know you have a plan and a purpose. You see, David had to learn to rest in what the Lord had told him about the kingdom because it would only be a matter of time before David ascended to the throne. Verses 1 and 2, I cry out to the Lord with my voice. Now again, as we read this psalm, he is by himself. He is literally, literally all by himself. He had a meeting with Jonathan. Jonathan shot the arrows. The little lad ran away. Again, this is in the scriptures. Jonathan and David hugged. Jonathan said, I know you're going to become king. When you become king, don't kill me. Don't kill my brothers. Don't kill my family. David said, what are you talking about, Jonathan? I'm not going to do any of that. I'll remember you. And David did. Even after Jonathan's death, David remembered Jonathan. But this is when David is all alone by himself. So when you find yourself all alone by yourself, your mate's not there for you, your friends are not there for you, your coworkers aren't there, your boss is not there, society's against you, you're not the first and you're not going to be the last. Here's a man 3,000 years ago that is expressing his heart. He says, I cry out to the Lord with my voice. With my voice to the Lord, I make my supplication. I pour out my complaint before him. I declare before him my trouble. He's not, now notice, he's not complaining about God. He's pouring out his complaint. Why me? Why is Saul trying to kill me? I haven't done anything wrong. 
That, that's what this is saying here. I declared before him my troubles. You see, once again, we see the example of David seeking after the Lord. David wasn't afraid to go before the Lord no matter where he was, even if it was a cave, all by himself. He had such a close relationship with the Lord that he knew God wanted to hear from him. So he poured out his complaint to the only one he had at this point in God. And maybe sometimes that's you. David went there first to God and he went alone. He knew that God had ordained him to become king. He just didn't know how long it was going to take. And after a season of time, his brethren joined him to support his efforts towards Israel. And again, David knew that he would be king. He just needed to remain calm amongst the turmoil. In verses 3 and 4, when my spirit was overwhelmed within me, Does this maybe sound like you and maybe anxiety you might be dealing with today? Then you knew my path. Notice what David says. In the way in which I walk, they secretly set a snare for me. Look at my right hand and see, for there is no one who acknowledges me. Refuge has failed me. No one cares for my soul. I'm all alone, God. Now, he's, he wasn't, but that's what he was feeling. And that's what you always want to remember. What are the facts and what are the feelings? Maybe express those feelings, but always go back to the facts as David did. You see, David expresses his heart in a way that not too many of us are able to articulate, especially us guys. You see, no one was with him physically. No one at all, not one. Yet he knew that God was there. That's a relationship, guys, not religion. That's a relationship. And what a lonely place this must have been. But David didn't start to have a pity party. Instead, he started to cry and pray out to his only source of help, God, because God cares. Matter of fact, Peter tells us a thousand years later, after David wrote this, because David lived a thousand BC, a thousand years later, roughly, Peter wrote in 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7, Therefore, Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him. Now, if you look up that word care, I'm not a Greek scholar, Hebrew scholar. I got books. You can get these books. The first word care, casting all your care on him. If you look up that word care, that's anxiety. Anxiety. Cast all your anxieties upon him. Upon who? Upon God. For he cares. The word care is there is cares. He's concerned about you. He loves you. He knows what you're going through. He's not nervous. He's not anxious. He's not looking at Jesus going, did you know this was going to happen? And Jesus was like, I didn't know this was going to happen. And then Jesus looks at the Holy Spirit. Did you know this was going to happen? I didn't know this was going to happen. What are we going to do? I don't know. This is God. God knows what's going to happen in your life. And he's got a plan. But we're human. We're human. We're going to have anxieties. We're going to have fears. That's natural. That's just natural. Just don't let them run your life. Allow God to run your life. Don't let your feelings run your life. Allow the facts of God's word to run your life. Because God cares for you. In verses 5 through 7, I cried out to you, O Lord. Notice, no one cares for my soul. So what does David do? I cry out to you, O Lord. I said, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. 
Attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are stronger than I. Bring my soul out of prison, that I may praise your name. The righteous shall surround me. That's a great verse right there for you and me. As you maybe had a cruddy week at work, and you feel like everything was against you, you can come down to a Sunday morning, and you, if you do the meet and greet, if you really do the meet and greet, and try to make friends, even during that three to five minute time, which is uncomfortable to do, but if you at least try, all of a sudden you come to a, you get excited about Sunday morning. Because now you're surrounded with like-minded believers. Oh, you had a cruddy week? I had a cruddy week too. Let's pray for each other. You don't need to whine about how cruddy it was. It was cruddy. But let's pray for each other. How can I pray for you? What, how can I lift you up this week? And man, it's just like, yeah, yeah. Coming out to a ladies' Bible study, a men's Bible study, a midweek study, whatever the case may be, be encouraged. There are people who love you. Your coworkers, they hate you. So what? So what? Get over it. They do. You got people here that love you. Don't worry about it. Just keep loving them. Whether they hate you or love you, it doesn't matter. Just keep being that example to them. You see, the enemy was way stronger than David. David was by himself. Yet who did David have on his side while he was all by himself? God, just God. I just got God. Yeah, well, with God on your side, you outnumber everybody. David believed God's promises, so he looked forward to that time when the righteous would surround him. He knew eventually that God would put him over the kingdom. God will deal bountifully with me. Notice that at the end of verse 7. And he didn't know it was going to be 10 years. Again, this is out of the gate. I'm by myself. I'm being hunted. But what does he proclaim? The righteous shall surround me. For you shall. Notice that. You shall deal bountifully with me. Psalm 143. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my supplications. In your faithfulness, answer me. And in your righteousness. Do not enter into judgment with your servant, for in your sight, no one living is righteous. So if you're here today and you don't have a personal relationship with God via Jesus, via the cross, and you think you're going to get to heaven because you're good enough, I just want to break it to you. You're not good enough and you're going to hell. You need a savior. It's that simple. You will never be good enough. You have to be perfect. And since you're older, we know you are a stinking little sinner, so you've already lost. You've already lost. So just admit the fact, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior, and surrender your life to God. So, so important. It appears here that David believes his enemies are gaining control over him due to some type of possible sin in his life. This is the last of the seven penitential psalms that David wrote. And when we read the whole counsel of God, we learn that he does use various sources, earthly as well as heavenly, to discipline his kids. Why? Because God desires maturity. God desires maturity. He's not beating us. Maybe your dad beat you. I'm going to punish you. Okay, that's not God. God doesn't beat his kids. He disciplines his kids like we should do as as parents. For what reason? For maturity purposes. It's definitely a form that will help us to mature in the faith. That's what God's all about. Maturity, maturity, maturity. You see, David prays for God's mercy. No one is righteous. No, not one. So he prays that God wouldn't judge him because God knows that, that David knows that he would fall short. You see, 
God would have plenty of issues with David. Plenty of issues with David. But just don't beat David down. He'd have plenty of issues with us if he judged us. I encourage you, never pray, God, give me what I deserve. Never, ever pray that. That would be the worst prayer you could ever pray. God, give me mercy. I need your mercy. For the enemy has persecuted my soul, verses 3 and 4. He has crushed my life to the ground. He has made me dwell in darkness. Like those who long been dead. Therefore, my spirit is overwhelmed within me. My heart within me is distressed. Do you hear the distress? You see, David moves from praying for mercy to explaining the problem. Again, did not God not know what was going on? God knew. He understood. But David needed to express his soul to his God. His enemies were pressing in upon him. And you can hear the utter distress in David's writings here. Matter of fact, it sounds absolutely hopeless. But verses 5 and 6, I remember the days of old. I meditate on all your works. I muse on the... The work of your hands. I spread out my hands to you. My soul longs for you like a thirsty land. You know, even though things did not look good, David remembers God's hand in creation. And I encourage you, I, I love this time of year. Things are blossoming, even though I'm getting allergies this year. Things are blossoming. I just love going out in the backyard and the doves. We got, we got so many doves and they, they build the cheapest nest. It's unbelievable. <laughs> they don't make it through a storm. But those little babies survive. It's incredible. In 10 days, if you find a dove's nest, I encourage you to check it out and go back every day. From when, from when the shell cracks, 10 days, you have a full-grown dove. And the mother is sitting on the adult dove. <laughs> 10 days. I did this. I took a camera one time for the grandkids. And every day I went out and took a picture. 10 days, boom, done, off. Get out of the house. I like that idea. Ten days. You're gone. Get out of here. You're too big for this ugly nest. So it's important for us as well. Just to, when you're overwhelmed, get outside. Look at the stars. Look at God's creation. I remember the days of old. Again, I meditate on all your works. I muse on the work of your hands. I spread out my hands to you. My soul longs for you like a thirsty land. Answer me speedily, O Lord. My spirit fails. Do not hide your face from me, lest I be like those who go down into the pit. Cause me to hear your loving kindness in the morning, for in you do I trust. Cause me, and I have this part of the verse highlighted in my Bible. Cause me to know the way in which I should walk. For I lift up my soul to you. What a great prayer, guys. What a great prayer. David was remembering. He was lifting up his hands to give praise to God. And as we do this, even as we think of these verses, it's important that David yearned for God to talk to him, to talk to him about his loving kindness, his tender mercies. You see, David trusted in the Lord and wanted to know where to go. Which direction should I head in? My my enemies are pressing in upon me. Which way, Lord? And for us today, when we get to that place, the, the first place that we should look to is God's word. See, God's word will direct us and guide us in our direction, in our decisions. You see, it will not necessarily give you a yes or no answer all the time. Lord, should I buy this car? I'm reading my Bible. Where is it, where is it in this Bible that I should buy this car? Not gonna find it. But it will guide you to the point of being able to make a yes or no decision. He will give you the peace that surpasses understanding. I'm just sharing you from personal testimony of car, a house, whatever it might be. If you're in God's word, if you're praying, if you're spending that time with God, He'll answer you. 
Deliver me, O Lord, from my enemies, and you I take shelter. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Your spirit is good. Notice that, capital S. You have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Your spirit is good. Lead me in the land of uprightness. Revive me, O Lord, for your name's sake. For your righteousness' sake, bring my soul out of trouble. In your mercy, cut off my enemies and destroy all those who afflict my soul. For I am your servant, as the music team comes up. Deliver, teach, lead, revive, bring. You know, there's a lot of action in David's request, but he knew that God is a God of action and that he will take appropriate action. So again, I really like what David says here in verse 10. Teach me to do your will. Because we all desire, every believer in this room, I know this for certain, this one thing, many other things, but this one thing for sure, I know every single believer in this room, I know you want to fulfill the Lord's will for your life. I know that beyond a shadow of a doubt. We all want to know that. And so as we search out God's word, as we spend time in prayer, the Holy Spirit will direct us to what the Lord's will is. You see, the Holy Spirit will deliver. He will teach. He will lead. He will, guys. He will revive. He will bring us out of and through whatever the enemy throws out. He will. I can guarantee you. You see, God is faithful. We are not, but God is. And David had learned that, and he clung to that fact. And I pray that we have or are doing the same. Why? Because God is always faithful. Always faithful. Let's stand. God is always faithful. Let's stand and see the salvation of our God. Father, we thank you and praise you that you are faithful, even when we are not. For you cannot deny yourself. For your promises are your promises, and they're not based upon what we do for you. They're just your promises. So, Father, I thank you that you are always faithful, again, even when we are not. Lord, fill us with your Holy Spirit that we might become more faithful. And we might do those things that you call us to do on a regular basis for your glory. It's not about Calvary Chapel. It's not about the pastorate. It's about you. God is for your glory. So this week, as we go out into the world, as we go out into our little minefield, as we might feel the pressures coming upon us, the distresses, the conflicts, the enemy, spiritual, is maybe even physically coming against us. Father, fill us with your Holy Spirit afresh and new, each and every day, hour, minute by minute. Help us to call out to you, for you will never leave us. You will never forsake us. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Thanks for coming out, guys. If you need prayer, please come up. We would love to pray for you. If you do not have Jesus as your Savior, come forward. Joe's up here. He's an elder in the church. He will pray with you to receive Jesus as your Savior. It's the most important decision you will ever make in your whole life. Don't be afraid. God bless you guys. Have a great week. Wednesday night, Book of Judges. Pastor Jarrell, come on out for a great study. Hallelujah. What a Savior.